Welcome everyone to the Forging Brains podcast. I'm Gavin Cooper, your host, along with my co-host Riley Kirkpatrick, and we are here at Riley Kirkpatrick's shop. And we just got done with a team practice involving Team PNW, which consists of Riley Kirkpatrick, Troy Wood, Brian Stralo, and Jesse Wilson. So we just got they just got done with a uh, two-day team practice where they shod a draft horse building handmade plain stamps with a Masala toe clip. I also did a whole video on it, so you can go check that out at my YouTube channel, Pacific Northwest Farrier Show, and if you want to see more details on that. So, here's Riley. Yeah, so we figured we'd kind of... The team aspect of being a horseshoer is pretty weird just in general because we are individuals as horseshoers. We run businesses mostly by ourselves. We're our own bosses. Everything kind of relies just on our one thing. So you're shooting the whole entire horse by yourself every day. Uh, The horse is pretty general and you have your own ideas. So you don't have something else being like, well, that's different than what you're doing. And the difference is very obvious. So the team aspect is super interesting because you get four minds from four. Like from us, we're all from the Northwest, but we're still, we have different practices. Each one of us, uh, me, Jesse, and Brian are on the west side of the states, so we're a little bit wetter climate. Troy's from the east side of the states, and so he's in a little bit drier climate. And so it's it's really interesting that we all get to gather up and gather our experience, what we see every day, our idea of what a foot should look like. Even though we all try to sh- trim and shoot to the basics, we you just the mind sees its own time thing. And so we all get to kind of gather up and try to make each other better in that way, you know? And so it's a, it's a really interesting thing, but it's also a hard thing that you have to deal with this other person's opinion. There could be struggles. Yeah, and that, that's kind of one of the hardest things I think about it is that like, you have to learn to accept it. You have to learn to take your, you know, we talked about ego before that comes in with competition and it's really not that big in the competition world too bad. Who do you think has the biggest ego on you guys' team? Oh, I think like, <laughs> Like, I'm probably guilty of it, you know what I mean? And not even ego, but it's like, I definitely feel the pressure of, like, I have a big social media presence from what, as a horseshoer, mm-hmm. so I don't want to fail. And it's like, it's, it's I, I put myself out there a lot. But so nobody wants to fail, right? Nobody wants to fail, but it's like, and I don't, I don't think it's an ego, but I, I probably have, like, I don't know if I have the firmest line, but I, I have a pretty firm line of where, where I'm at, and it's yeah. like... Like that, like it's easy. The other guys seem more easy to adjust sometimes. Where like I, I do feel like I'm just like, well, this is just kind of what I'm doing. You know what I mean? Like, so it, I, I don't know if I per se like that would have to be to them to answer. But like, I, from my standpoint, they don't have ego. Troy is young, and but Troy is super talented and he sees a lot. Yeah, he's got a lot going on for himself. Yeah, yeah. and so right now Troy's got a lot, and I wouldn't call it ego. But Troy needs to have some confidence in himself, right? And that's just a young guy thing. And I think it's like, man, we've all, most of us have ridden horses and been around dogs and stuff yeah. like that. You kill a young dog or a young horse's confidence. Yeah. He's not, not going to have confidence later. So you kind of want to keep the confidence in Troy and see where he's going. And sometimes, man, like not even sometimes, Troy does good. Yeah, there's a big dynamic when it comes to being on a team with four people, right? Huge. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. There you go. What do you, Jesse, what do you think's like the, uh, the hardest thing about being on a team with four guys telling somebody that they didn't do something right yeah 
What do you uh, think it's hard to like perceive that information when somebody else is coming at you as well? No, I think it's harder for the person that has to tell, that has to break the news to them because we're all friends. We all want everybody to do good. Like it's hard to have to tell one of your friends, Hey man, that ain't very good. Yeah. And it, it's hard too, because like we're all different personalities, <laughs> each one of us on this team. That's the part that makes it great. And that's the part that makes it hard to communicate. So like, as a person, you're like, well, this is how I'd say it to myself, and this is how I'm saying it in my brain. Yeah. But then all of a sudden, you spit it at them, and they're like, wow, that wasn't very nice. Like, yeah. you like see it on their face instantly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, personality's coming into that, right? You know, like having to you know, be able to communicate with that person's personality, so you don't necessarily kill their confidence or something, right? Yeah, and I like Jesse's really good about communicating and coming up with a new way to do it. Yeah. You know, a new way to communicate it to you. But like, I think he's right. It's like, it's just, it's, that's the hard part, huh? Yeah, absolutely. It's how, how, like, so instantly, like when you're, when you see your buddy, here he is, he's making it go. And you're like, well, that's not going to work out. What is your chain of events in your head of how you're going to communicate that? Like waiting for the right time to, to break the news to him and at a point where they can, understand and process what you're about to say and saying it in a matter that they can relate to what they're doing it's it's hard though too because like we're doing a thing that like they're trimming foot that you can't get back mm -hmm. and they're moving metal you can't get back at that point so because yeah. there's the the pressure of the clock so what if you never get to like if, where the time never comes if it's getting dangerous like you stop them right now hey we need to talk about this but in most cases you see it coming you know what's going to like you know you're not head the right direction with that you know wait for the for the proper time when they are not in like on the muscle in full go mode just a second when they can listen because as soon as the clock starts you're you know your brain just gone you're it's like, the whole battle yeah you're almost kind of kicking into muscle memory at that point you know that's Where? all it is. You, yeah, you talk to somebody who's working off muscle memory, and their brain's not working anymore. You yeah. Wait for the for a second. And the clock sometimes, you know, I'm guilty of it as well. Like when the clock goes, like everything else that happens out, you know, in the world is kind of done. You know, you're just basically you have one thing on your mind. Yeah. Sometimes it's hard to stop that train, right? Oh, it's it, <clears throat> it's truly the hardest, and so like. Like today, we had that happen a little bit. We have a draft horse come in. It's one of my clients. So like, it's, it's hard to get draft horses for practice and stuff. And like, she came in and like- Which is pretty sweet that you have a client that will haul a draft horse to man, your shop. So not you even to mention, so this weekend was just a spur of events of like, so we plant, we're all busy guys. We got our schedules planned out in advance because we shoot horses six weeks in advance. And so we schedule out these team practices. This isn't like, we aren't sponsored horseshoers. We are like, we, we do, we have some sponsors right now. Who are you guys' uh, sponsors? So we got Olympia team. Farrier Supply. We got Valley Farrier Supply. Uh, Olympia is obviously in Olympia, Washington, correct? Uh, Valley Farrier Supply is in Malala, Oregon. Okay. Yep. Uh, and then we have we have the South Sound Equine is Dr. Mike Clark. Yep, we got Dr. Mike Clark helping us out. Yeah, and then the the Farriers Association of Washington State. Yeah, we also. got Foz, which is just a, a like a if 
state farrier associations are huge for a community and Foz has a great community going on I didn't on know that they it. were you guys a sponsor like that's pretty sweet it's huge you know, yeah that as a backup. and it's and we are all from the Pacific Northwest I am yep. I'm pretty happy I mean, to that get explains asked the, the team name P- the Oregon P-N-W. guy <laughs> like uh, uh, they're all from Washington and so that's that's pretty big but like we aren't we're generally not sponsored so we're we're flipping our own build we got to work you know yep. we can't just be dicking around all the time going to practices it's not like you're else. an nfl athlete <clears throat> no we all got lights man it's like he's got kids he's got kids he's trying to just do crazy kid stuff and <laughs> i got a kid and i'm trying to hunt so it's pretty hard it's like so we schedule this weekend there's not a lot of flexibility you get the horse scheduled because they got to still be done on time yep. and keep good hoof quality and so we schedule this weekend and like we are in Oregon and it's like the Northwest this is fire season at the Shoot, max yeah. is the beginning of September and the end of August yeah it didn't help the power company sends you an email like hey we're shutting your power off and yeah like, we were already all planning on coming here so we've been working with no power before everybody even arrived we lost power yeah. we got cut out <laughs> the whole entire little valley I live in has just been socked full of smoke so thankfully I got a good client that she brought in a horse and thankfully Jesse brought the generator so you're yep. able to use the coke fire we powered through man yeah. we were just like that's one thing like horseshoes are problem solvers yeah and we problem solved throughout the weekend improvise adapt and overcome yeah but it's (laughs) like so like not like this is the thing so there people listening to this might think like man you guys are calling each other out that's what we do on a team that's what you kind of come together for you gotta kind of call each other out and we like today brian got information overloaded on his foot and he just overthought and so it just didn't come out the way he wanted it to because he was a little bit on a journey you know what i mean so it is super hard to communicate like it was on most of us that we just kept communicating at him and it's like that's what practices are for how do you take that information brian like when you when you guys get done or during your go and you know i bet during the go it's probably even more important like of how he's accepting it then yeah yeah so so for me personally just trying to understand the information they're trying to give me to improve what I'm doing. Yeah. So when everything's going, they say black and my brain says white or they say <laughs> this or that. And so just trying to do the moves that I need to do to improve the work that is in front of me. Yeah. Um, but the, the biggest part is that, like, that particular go, like, I let everybody on my team down. And so I feel, I feel that responsibility to them. And then, of course, you know, emotionally, it – makes me upset and when i get upset i get up mad at myself yeah. and so then because that is one thing you're mm-hmm. really you I, I never felt like you were mad at me oh absolutely not during during a situation but it's like i'm I, when, when that when, when you guys sort of come I'm, all i'm trying to do is damage control how can i take the information you guys are giving me repair what i did dude yeah to keep to keep going damage control is such a it, it, it was all damage control that 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 makes so much sense of that you're just like but it's but at the same time like jesse already said like he's just saying it when it's a a good time he never got to an urgent time really like you never really got to an urgent time so it's never like the damage control i I, yeah i think like that's a good way of thinking of like that you you got to damage control too fast probably like like and then once you get to damage control you end up chasing a little bit. You know, everybody does that. You're like, yeah, well, you go down the rabbit hole. Oh, deep. So like uh, on the go we had today, my rabbit hole 
I had two rabbit holes on the feet. I had one trying to trying to get the bar sculpting. There's the back half of the foot and a big, you know, like a strut that helps holds the hoof capsule together. And I had everybody was coming there trying to help me, and I couldn't. Under, I I tried one thing and then most of them do this, and, I, and so. You it know, also didn't help. I noticed your foot was like the hardest and driest to it, trim it, out of. So it, it, yes, yeah, so so just the the technicality of trying to make my tools do what I wanted to do, it was, a, it, it, it was difficult, but. Feel um, like Ricky Bobby and you're like, I don't know what to do with my hands. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then, and, and I intentionally, uh, you know, the horse had some, some dorsal wall flare or thickness and um, my own personal journey, I'm shoeing everyday horses. I've been really aggressive and bringing that back. And what I learned today and that I'm gonna take back to this week is evaluating some of my horses and trying to figure out what am I being, am I going way over the edge and trying to be doing too much because, you know, the feedback I got today was I did too much and and in six weeks when that horse is due again, we're going to see some problems that wouldn't have happened if I left more material in certain places. Yeah. So um, uh, I don't disagree with any of the things that my teammates have pointed out to me. That's what I was just about to ask. But at this point... Until I can see some of, some of my work, like you know, on Monday when I, I'm underneath horses, I, I can't say I can't refute what they're saying because all right now all I see is all the negatives that I uh, that that happen, and so I need to go look at my horse and see well do I see the negatives in these feet here that are due that these guys say that I created yeah and then from there I I can I can learn. And so, it's so fine too of like it's like the layman wouldn't notice these things that we are pointing out. Yeah, I guess it's not like totally detrimental. It's just like No, I mean, we're sta- making it sound like it's way bigger yeah, deal cuz like cripple it. Yeah. It's no. almost a lot when you invite a client to a team practice. Yeah. Like you it has to be the right client that can handle hearing all these horrible things about the shoe yeah, job that was just imagine. done on their horse. They're sitting there like, "Oh my gosh, you're doing all that wrong and like but this wrong." But it's just like minute little and, details. And it's still some know? of the top work in the nation. That's yeah. it. competing against the, some of the, the best, best of the best, the and, and neither one of us, like, not trying to toot anybody's horn, aren't the worst farriers in their area. There's a reason, like, that we chose to be on. Like, this was a chosen team. This wasn't just like, well, this has only got four guys that wanted to do it, and like, we chose the guys that we thought had a skill set. So it's not like it. No, it's just it's such good shoeing, and the point systems are so close, even at that competition. And something that, like when Brian's talking about the bars of sculpting these bars, competition shoeing is a cartoon drawing of a horse's foot. Everything is exaggerated so much. You exaggerate how smooth and nice the knife work is, how sculpted the bars are. How I mean, we're taking these shoes to a high grit of sandpaper before we re-blue them and brush them. Like they, every everything is so fine. So it's like when we're saying these these things, and like we might consider them detrimental because we it, it, we're paying attention to the details. Yeah, it, it's at a microscopic level that we're that our attention to detail. Yeah. Where, you know, you know, I, um, Bob Marshall always talked about being trying to aim for the bullseye, and even if you're in the second ring outside the bullseye, that's you know eighty percent. You're still doing a real benefit to the horse yeah and, and we're talking about can we hit the bullseye and then can we split that arrow and then can we split split that <laughs> arrow can we split that arrow yeah yep and so you know 
all of our goes today, there are parts of them where we're pretty close to the bullseye, and there are parts where we're just outside that bullseye. And some and like this go, you know, was my go to be outside the bullseye. Yeah. Now, you know, so now when you leave here and you're headed home and you go to work on Monday, you're not mad at your friends or your teammates here for you're just kind no, of more no, like I, taking it inside. Like no, you need the, to. The big, like I said, the biggest thing for me is I'm mad at myself for letting my teammates down, and then I need to evaluate, looking at what I've done on my own and my own horses, and see do I do I see what the, what they're saying? Yeah. Can I understand what they're saying, and do I see the points that they were making on my own horses? And if it is, now I can take the information they gave me and I can make them better. And then if I don't see it, perhaps I need to be uh, told again or re-educated as to what they were trying to say so we all come to the same consensus on it. So maybe, maybe I show up and the last point of weight bearing is where Jesse said it is and maybe it isn't. So if it is where he says he thinks it is, on my on my horses, then I need to change something. And if it's not, then maybe he, he and I need to talk again about what the physics are, are happening on that and, capsule. And that's kind of the cool thing about the team a little bit is that it's it's not fully, I don't think, of like this way or that way. You know, it's like about kind of meeting in the middle because there's a lot of people that have said, it's like if you want a horse in your care to do really well, have somebody else do them every six weeks. <laughs> and so, and at the end of that, you got all these different ideas, you know, and like the horse is probably somewhere in the middle doing pretty dang good. Yeah. Like, you know, we, we start influencing them a little bit too much one way or the other. And so like, it, it is, it's super, like, I, I love the team aspect of just like how we all learn different. And so like, like. I'm not good about leaving here and putting a lot of thought into this stuff. I'm not going to lie. Like, I end up just like, boop, all right, next to the next thing. Like, my ADHD, ADHD is I'm rolling all over the place. Where Brian's super methodical, and so he'll, he's going to think hard about this for the next week. You know, it's like, it's going to be I'm on I'm pretty you. sure Jesse and I aren't going to talk all the way home. Yeah. <laughs> and if it was, it would be like. One of us might talk a lot. <laughs> be talking at him. <laughs> But it, it, but it's like that's kind of the fun. Like the very first practice we had, me and Jesse both shoe the hind feet. The very first practice we had, quite a big difference in between what both of our not a huge difference, but we had a, we each had our own idea. Right now, when we get done, especially our trims, might be kind of hard to tell. Like our trims are looking like the same guy between you and Jesse. Yes. Yeah, I've noticed that when I go pick we up. We have the feet. melded up with our trims, and that's about meeting in the middle. But I've also noticed that between Troy and Brian, like your guys' trims, you know, your feet tend to look the same as well. So that's fairly good if you're trying to, you know, be on a team, right? And not even just be on a team. It's it's probably good for the horse. Yeah. That this horse is not being pushed one way completely. This horse is getting a debate done about it of where it needs to be heading. Yeah. And so you get both these people's ideas and so like, you know, somewhere in the middle is probably the right idea or somewhere where that horse could be the most comfortable. Yeah. So I like that, that. I think that is a really good aspect of this whole entire team event is you get the influence, you know, from each entire person. And it's like, <clears throat> so 
the world's a little bit backwards of how we kind of learn most times. It seems like, especially for me, it's like I'm a better student of life now than I was when I was in school. And so I do think that like me, Jesse and Brian are probably learning a little bit easier and like receptive where Troy's pretty moldable. Yeah. Troy, how long have you been chewing horses for? Just about three years. So I'm still kind of a newbie, but. And this is your first time ever being on like a four man team or anything like that. Yep. It's my first team. I've tried to surround myself with handy guys from day one. That's smart. So that's smart. Yeah. How, How old are you? Anyways, like 19. Dang. So pretty young, <laughs> pretty young in life, no matter what, whether it be three years or 10 years of shoeing horses, you, you know, there's guys that come into the horseshoeing at 40. Uh, those guys might be better. And I'm on train. Obviously, Troy is an amazing student of the trade. But like dur- during, you're like, man, when you're a young guy, you got some ideas and you're going to just do it, you know, no matter what happens. Yeah. What do you think is the coolest thing about being on this team, Troy? other people's perspective yeah of i try to like i'm kind of opinionated so i see like what i want to make a foot or how i want to make a shoe but when somebody else comes in and tells me what they see wrong it's like a light bulb to where i didn't even see it before but then when somebody else brings their point of view into it then it's pretty beneficial yeah the goal of like a four-man team is you want it to look like the same person shod the horse Uh so we want to take the good parts of all of our style and leave out the bad, ideally. Yep. yep. And then have a good, good go. So, do you think uh, if you guys stopped competing as a four-man team or whatever, do you think you would see yourself, you know, trying to sort out like find another team for sure like, down the road? It's super beneficial. Yeah. Yeah. What are what are your goals? Um, I'd like to make the WCB team. Yeah. So that'd be pretty cool. Are you like in the hunt for the uh, the WCB like the apprentice team this year? Um, I'm in the hunt for the Cat Four team right now. I'm in the fourth spot for so. the Cat Four team, yep. the overall team. Yep, mm-hmm. sitting God sixth. dang, I know. <laughs> and you're only been shooting horse three years. That's freaking incredible. <laughs> Skip right past us to the Cat Two team. Deal. Yeah, no <laughs> God dang, just like well, I guess I'll just go right for the team. <laughs> so I? the WCB, how it works? Uh, the WCB is called the World Championship. Uh, the World Championship Blacksmith. That's what it's called. Yep. Exactly. Uh, it's designed by the Trunka family. And they, Craig is just such a seasoned competitor himself. They are a family of competitive people. Like, and they are a family of this trade. They understand it inside and out. And so Craig has started this competition series that he drives around the country. And it's usually four to five competitions in the year. That's what it was for quite a while, and they were individual competitions pretty much. And he has a semi-trailer, like a 53-foot truck tractor, or like tractor trailer, and the sides come up like a DeLorean, and they got Coke forges going down the sides. So all you got to bring is just a little Pelican case and come and compete with them. And so you compete throughout the year, and at the end of the year, you can you can earn a spot like for year-end totals and stuff like that. And a part of those year-end totals is – they have a team, and they they have different categories you compete in. Even though everybody kind of makes the same horseshoes, you get split up within there. So you can you could win your own little subcategory. You know, like so. There's cat one, category one, category two, category three, category four. You could win to those individually, or you could be a guy like Troy and like as a cat one, you could win 
and be on the team that are, is consisted pretty much of cat forwards. You could beat those cat four guys if you have good enough goes. And so it's like possibilities there, but there's still the sub encouragement, the little encouragement along the way. And so what Troy's talking about, it, he's in the running for the WCB team. Uh, so Troy has overstepped. Like there's a category two team, which they call an apprentice team, and you get to go compete abroad and learn about competing abroad and competing in, in England and getting ready for a competition like that. And me and Gavin were both lucky enough to go and do that. So we've got to go to England. Yeah, that was fun. WCB sent us over there and got to do it. And But what Troy's pushed really hard. And he's just super, I'm not trying to say like, but Troy is naturally talented. He can see things very well. And he's, he's pushed on those, those traits, you know, so that's good. He didn't let, let him lie, you know, just rest on his laurels. And so to be rewarded, he's run, run in the running for the cat four team and he could get to go and you, I mean, man, talk about, uh, is it nervous? The thought of being on a team with that caliber of guys. Like, I'm not trying to say it's like, we aren't that caliber of guys. We, as much as I would love to be, we're not. So, like, the thought of being with those guys, and, like, it's serious at that point. It's not as much as uh, just a fun educational deal. I wouldn't say I'm really nervous. If I make it, I'd be more enthusiastic because all the possibilities of learning. It's a good way to look at it. Yeah. yeah. That's a good way to try to accept it, too, of, like, rise up to the challenge. Yeah. You're ready to, you're ready to come sure. up to it. Yeah, it's a big opportunity, really. Yeah. You know, if you get if you make that team and you get to be on it, like that's a huge opportunity for you to become better, mm -hmm. you know, overall and like that'll help set you up for the years to come. Yeah. You know? Usually those guys the first year or whatever, like they seem to make it repeatedly in following years. So that would be pretty dang sweet. Would be. Yeah. There's still a contest in December, so there's only see one how left? I do there. In the individuals, yeah. There's only one more individual contest. Yeah, so God it's dang. just just Fort Worth left. Damn. Uh, cool. So it's like and now the WCB has done a little bit different. Uh, they have the individual contest still, but now they have uh, the team contest. They have three team contests throughout the year. Those so are the four-man teams, Those right? are the four-man teams. So that's what, we're, that's what, what our team's are. for. Uh, our team's just for going to the WCB team contest. Yep. That is – I don't – there's no year-end year goal for our for the these team? for the team series they're just their own thing uh but i i loved the individual but i might like these more i i think you grow more as a horseshoer in the team aspect because we're each event that we're doing on a three-day contest schedule is on the horse we're at the individuals is two days of blacksmithing and then if you're the top 40 you, sh you shoe one foot yeah and so we're we're shooing each of us three feet over three days, yep. yeah. which just translates exactly into everyday shoeing. Yep. And so with the perspective of three other. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. So the the three day contest, there's three different uh, shoeing categories, right? Correct. They are the the draft shoeing. Yeah. So so right now for the ones that we're doing this year. Yeah, because there's a couple of different kind of draft shoeings, right? Right. Yeah. So the one we're we're doing is we've got one day where we've got a draft. Uh, it's a draft shoeing. We've got a it's a massalot toe clip. It's a plain stamp shoe. We have a tool and folder day. Um, this tool and folder shoe is a, a hundred fit on the front feet and on the hind feet with a toe clip on the fronts. And the hind feet's quarter clipped with a medial hunter hunter heel and then a lateral pleasure heel. Yep. And then the last one for this contest coming up. 
is three-quarter fuller day. So it's three-quarter fullered, mouse slot toe clip, just like the draft shoeing. Um, but it's that's on a smaller horse. It's more of like a pleasure fit, right? Or yeah, it, it like just every day, like shoeing a dressage horse or maybe a trail horse, uh, kind of shoeing. Which day is your favorite out of the three of them? Personally, yeah. Uh, personally, it's a three-quarter fuller day because it's the least technical. Yeah, it, it, it's a mo- it's the closest thing that we uh, see to. I suppose it's probably the most we've done as well, right? Most we've done it, and it's what the closest thing from my practice to what I do every day. Most yeah. Relatable, yeah. Yeah. So what about the, you, Jesse? What's your favorite day? Uh, I, the tool and fuller is my favorite day because it's the furthest away from everything that we do. Yeah. It, there's it's really and that's that's a tough class to do it's tough it is really tough to make the shoe mimic the foot yeah you don't mimic have, the no foot way. or just like the other classes are pretty easy to make a nailable shoe yeah <clears throat> that class is like man don't drop the ball ever you no. can really fuck it up <laughs> i mean and, and it's not and it's kind of like that's where even team comes in big where it's like your striker could fuck your shoe up like in a fucking hurry dude it's like that's a test you fit the foot how how good of a farrier are you and and i have every and it's not even just this we get split up pretty harsh now of like between blacksmiths and farriers that's what i love about the wcb's name is we're called blacksmiths because the tool and folder class is so blacksmithing like i i doubt there's many blacksmiths out there that just do blacksmithing they could run tooling good enough to make a tool and folder shoe yeah it is so tool aware the whole entire time of what it's doing every little it's, it's single so precise. hit it, it is it's essentially doing machining work but without a machine and so it's crazy that's like man i'm so stressed out during tool and fuller day like oh, yeah it's agonizing you love it yeah it's agonizing you love so you love the burn like you it's, love it's a real test yeah so you and like so you rode rough stock and stuff as a kid too right yeah you like that on the line yeah yeah, show up or not? Don't. It's so <laughs> nerve-wracking. Yeah. It's, it's agonizing. It's yeah. nerve-wracking. It's like, I don't think I'm like horrible running tooling, but the whole entire time I'm just like, yeah. this could be it. Yeah. This could be it where it all goes <laughs> yeah. south yeah. right now. Yeah, this could end it all. That is great, though, that you're just like, that. that is a trait to be like what? admired is be like loving with, the stress. Yeah, with the other two shoes that we build, it's like, yeah, I can I can box that in with the tool and fuller. It's like there's no hiding anything. No, no. you got it or you don't. There's yeah, that is so true. So yeah, true. Do it right. And that's it's it. so exacting. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't. Uh, I'm probably the weakest at the tool and fuller day, and I at our last contest in Pennsylvania, it wasn't until that I pritchled my nail holes that I could even breathe. But it, it is. See, I, see but that's if my, the if hard my shoe part. is nailable. That's really? the hard part. Nailable. Yeah. Just nail. So, like when you're building a horseshoe, the general rule of horseshoeing is nails down the center, depending on what type of horses you're shoeing. So, like tool and fuller day and three quarter fuller day, pleasure type horses, nails down the center. Draft horses are big horses. They got thick walls. You might want to touch them in just a touch inside and center for me. But it's like, so making the tool and fuller shoes nailable is so hard. It's like, yeah, there's there's no no room for error. On the and it's not shoot. like there's just a little bit of work in them to get them to the nail holes punching out. 
you have like you and the striker have busted your butt of taking something from five eight square and running it through a block and they grow like quite a bit so like we're getting like three inches of growth just in the straight of taking this square section and running it into a triangle yeah it is the most cardio that any farrier or blacksmith will ever <laughs> endure is running just two sections or horseshoes through a block. So we're swinging a 10-pound sledgehammer. sledgehammer. And then to top it off with hot as, rasping at as, the end. As hard and as fast as you can, but also as accurate as you can. Yep. Because a missed blow can create something that the, the guy who's making the shoe is going to have to deal with for the entirety of that Never coming out. shoe and cost us. Yeah, it is. So, but is it, it, it for is, you? It's just as nerve-wracking for me trying to make a shoe that I, I'm going to end up with a nail hole that I can use as it is for me swinging the sledgehammer to make sure I don't mess up one of my teammates' projects. Is it for you, though, does it go from the most stressful class to maybe the easier class after the nail holes are done? For, for, for me, if, I'm, if, I'm, if, my, if the test for me is, is, to, is to fit a foot exact, I, but personally, I've done enough of that in my everyday early on in my shoeing career that I don't have a huge issue That's with that. That's what I've noticed. Because cause I... I started out shooting, shooting some dude ranch horses, and then my apprenticeship was at the Thoroughbred Racetrack, and we were we were essentially doing hunter shoeing. Penny on a penny. It they was it was we if there was no, there was no boxing, there was no expansion. There was nothing outside the hoof cap. No, so I think like that that's maybe where it changes from like subconsciously your least favorite class to maybe one of your favorite classes in the fitting, because I yep. see like you fit up faster in the tool and fuller class. But there's no gar there's no garbage. That's like Jesse's saying. There's no room. And, and, and here's for the deal. discretion. And here, yeah, and here's the but deal. Like we showed up the Pennsylvania contest, and every, pretty much the feedback we got is that we were all shod short, Tight. except yep. except for the tool and folder day. And so we're like, well, you know, so we're we're having to then well, we need to fit bigger and around to make it so the judges it's more appealing to the judges. Yeah. And you know, where where some of us live, like it's it's we have wet climates, and if I'm hanging out over half an inch of steel. I got to come back next week, put a shoe back on. Yep. So, you know, there's, it, it's just a weird, it's, it's a weird deal. So I think this aspect of the teams, like for me personally, is I'm just trying to figure out what do the, what do the judges want? What, what's my end goal? When it's, when it's a hundred fit, like some people say, it's one of the easier classes to judge as a judge because you're either exactly on that hoof wall you're not. or you're either under or over. And so if you're exactly on it, good on you you did a great job but if you're over it it makes it easy to yep. say okay well that's a couple point deduction there yep and so these draft horses and these and this this you know this pleasure horse type type fit you know you can put a shoe on there and then kind of run a rasp on it to kind of mimic your fit but you know like my draft horse today i mean i rasp forever just to try and make it look like it fit the foot it it, it, it was I, I was on i was a I was going down a dark alley by myself this today. Yeah. I'm emotionally distraught. I was, I was fearing for um, there's, you. There's, there's going to be uh, we hit all this. We took his hoof knives away. I've already texted my, text my wife. She's she takes she takes there's no shoelaces. The weighted blankets on the couch. Yeah, all the closet all, all the closet rods have been so, so, sawn in half. It's uh it's We're on everyone's on, it's on Brian. It, it's like an Epstein lookout here for anything bad to happen. Oh man, <laughs> but it's almost as own punishment that you're like fit big have fun in the vice bud oh but, yeah, no, I, yeah. You all of a sudden are just doing push-ups with the ras yeah. over and over kind of mind-blowing for us all at the first competition that we attended as a team because we fit everything and everybody else was like 
out and around. Yeah, yeah, and around yeah. And, <laughs> and boxed in. We yeah, and I don't want to say they, they weren't fit and we were fit. We didn't understand the fit. Like, we just went into it thinking, like, well, we'll just put it how we put them every day. Yeah. And that's just kind of what we were doing. Yeah. Well, there, like I said earlier, horseshoeing competitions are cartoons. So yeah. you wanted everything a little bit bigger and a little bit perfect, you know, <laughs> and like filed right yeah. to with the angle of the hoof wall a little bit. So yeah. it had flow and it's real nice. And so that's like when we say fit, you know, it's like, well, coming down to horseshoeing fit is like nails in the white line and the heels are being supported and the hoof wall is being supported. Well, they were doing that, but they were also giving them a little bit extra all the way around for the but first it, two and days. clearly intentional with the Very, course, course punch. That's the word. Punched course. Yep. And and box to fit, 100% so intentional. But has this ever. way of fitting, has it like transpired into the individual WCB contest when it comes to shoeing day? I think it's just transpired through the whole entire horseshoeing world as a competition in the world in general, is that we're just getting a little bit better. We understand a little bit more. Like I'm not saying we understand it more, but it's like the skill set's getting better and the time frame's getting better. It's like before you did like – Times are getting faster and faster and all the time, it seems like, you know, yeah. through the competitions. You might not add enough time to do all the rasping that gets done now. Yeah. Well, now there's enough time to do all that rasping and make a normal shoe look beveled and look very, very, like it's mimic the hoof even more. Yeah. Because it's like, man, it's like when I, I haven't been competing very long. We just like, we're talking about the other day, I've been competing at the WCB for about seven years. And when I first started leather chamois and sandboxes didn't exist no i remember there that. was ha a half round and a bastard file were about as smooth as you were yeah. gonna get your shoe a little sand and sponge and a sand and sponge and maybe yeah. a work glove yeah <laughs> like that, that was that in a wire brush and it's like now all of a sudden shoes and feet like shoes are getting taken up to about 120 to 240 grit Yes, Before went they through a phase -blue. where they were doing like all these grits and like making it like shiny as a mirror, but now they're taking it back to where like they don't want any sanding on. So it, it got to the point where like, well, if you got enough time, you can leather chamois, yeah, and make it as nice as you want. So we got you got these feet that look like bowling balls. They are yeah. sweet, but some of the basic fundamentals have been missing, right? So then you got guys though that they don't have enough time to get there, but they see it. As, and like this is just my opinion on it. They see this is what it takes to win is the winners all feet look like bowling balls and went to the leather chamois. Yeah. And so they're dropping off on certain spots trying to get to the leather chamois. Mm -hmm. And so, and it's also like you were able to hide some things, like something go wrong and you could chamois over it or you could sand over it and it was hidden. Yeah. And it was, it was completely like tool innovation. There wasn't a sand, like Justin Fry invented the sandbox and came out with it where we could all just fit sandpaper and hit our shoes and feet with them. Yep. Well, like now, like, so it like, it went kind of crazy when the innovation came out. And now I think we're just raining it back a little bit. We're still sandboxing the shoes and everything. And, but we're like preserving, pres I can't say many Preserve. words. Yeah, that one. <laughs> we're not taking as much freaking hoofball away with all the sanding paper. And we're just leaving a little more there. And you have to be focusing more on the basics more skill set yeah you can see you can see when someone screwed up yep yeah completely well i suppose if you're walking by and you're walking by 40 different feet and all 40 of them are shined up like a bowling ball right and if one of them isn't obviously and it's like kind of still rough finishing you're gonna think automatically like oh maybe that one there's not subconsciously it's hard to get away from it yeah but if you're looking at them all from the top there where they're all shiny 
you're not necessarily looking at the bottom yet, mm -mm. you know. So it's almost drawing your eye immediately, like, oh dang, this is really nice. That's but you I've only even picked up. What yeah, counts. I've only judged a couple contests, and but it is like first impressions really matter. Yeah. And so when you're freaking walking up and you look at that foot, you're like, bang, that looks sweet. And then like yeah. you look at the bottom, and you're like, that's gonna influence yeah. how you see the rest of it. Yep. It, it just has to, and so it's like it can help you or hurt you yeah the whole entire I mean, all thing. the fundamentals have to be there right yeah completely like every single time it's still basics of horseshoeing when it comes all the way down to the bottom of it yeah well troy what is your uh favorite uh, out of the three days which one do you like to do the most i would say my favorite is the three-quarter fuller day yeah but i practice that the least really <laughs> yep so why is it your favorite then um well, it's because we like it's so applicable for everyday work. Yep. Like makes sense. I do quite a few making fits, so most of the time I'll make and fit a three quarter fuller shoe. So what do you enjoy? What do you enjoy doing the most? Do you enjoy the four man individual or the two man at the individual WCB contest? Ah, uh, that's a hard question. I would say probably the four man. That's what you like because the most. Not the individual. <laughs> I would I would say that I. I score the highest in the individual contest, yeah. but um, I learn the most with a four-man team. Yeah. So. Makes sense. You know, you're getting all this input from your peers. So. Right. For sure. How much during your individual goes are you thinking about what your teammates have said to you? Constantly. It's like a voice in my head. So, so, but, but, but is it, is that voice clearer during your individual go than it is when we're actually there talking to you <laughs> i would say it's clearer after the fact but like initially when the timer yeah off, then you hear it yeah that's oh man that's like that's you to a t and it's like man it's like troy's great at it you'll tell troy like troy hey man hit this and he's like that's i left that there for our purpose and then after the go you're like he's like dude i should have took that <laughs> like, I, really, I really wish i would have tuned in there but it's like that's kind of like a good part about it well, we've talked about uh, Troy's favorite shoe and uh, which class is his most favorite. And uh, I'm kind of curious to know, Riley, which one is your most favorite to do out of the three uh, disciplines? Yeah, I think it's it's pretty hard. Like, I, I'm just all over the place in my life. So it's like the, the I got a part from each one that I like the most. Yeah. But so it's I, hard to necessarily pinpoint one. Yeah, but probably the draft day is probably my favorite. Why do you reckon? So, tool and fuller day is just stressful. It's really, it's really hard. Like it's, it's so like it's that's not that like oh it's really hard. I want to stay away from it, but it's just like it's just still really hard. So it's just not my favorite. It's not my like the most fun class to me because it is stressful the whole entire time. Yeah, but. The three-quarter fuller day is kind of a plain day, per se, so it doesn't have a lot of, like, pizzazz to it, and yeah. so, like, I keep on catching myself trying to add some, like, something to the foot to make it, like, give it that cartoony, nice, over-the-top look. Which also kind of comes out in your tool making as well, like, you like to just add, like, these little... I, I, the details, I grab my eyes a lot, and then, like, you get from the detail so to the transition. Makes, makes sense when... <clears throat> You're picking which uh, go you like. Yeah, and the tool and fuller days just too many of them yeah. for my fit head. It's just a lot going on. Yeah. So probably the draft because it is still big and more exaggerated everywhere, and so you can do it. And I just 
like I, I can I think I can see draft shapes pretty well. I've shot quite a few of them, so it's just like that saddle horse shapes, like three quarter fuller day, tool and fuller day. They're all different. There's so many different size and breeds of saddle horses. Yeah. Where draft horses, they're kind of just draft horses. Yeah, they're And big. so there'll be little discretions from a Percheron to a Clyde to a, you know, even a, getting down to the light draft of a Frisian. But it's like, for the most part, especially their hind feet, which I'm on the hinds, pretty much the same. Yeah. And so you can really practice it and you can keep like fine newting it every single time. Yeah. And it's, it's easier to make it look exaggerated because it's so big. Right. So it's like... For me, it, yeah, I think draft day was probably be my favorite. So when are they, are they going to go to a, like a Scotch bottom heel in the uh, the class? Yeah, so they'd call it like a Scotch bottom or an, or ag, an ag heel. heel. And yep. so what that is, is like, like you have essentially a cleat that gets folded up and is sticking out on each heel. So uh, why are they doing it where it's a plain stamp Massalot and not a heel on it right now? <clears throat> I'm not sure. I, I think perhaps ease for the competitors for the level of talent in each team that's probably right i think i think the trying to like draw more i I think we're getting people to bring draft horses in that that would need those types of shoeing is probably a little bit less so it's easier to give them the flat shoeing but i know that for i'm on an understanding that next february march when they do uh, the first four man for 2023 near lexington will be egg heels on the draft that day, which will be basically the concept of when they did the classic, right? Correct. Yeah, and so they're. And it will be the classic. It's also going to be. Oh really? Instead of a three-quarter fullered Maslot day, we will have a roadster day like the classic. So we will have. Fronts um, will be bevels. Fronts will be a beveled horseshoe, and then the hinds will be a roadster, which with a outside and then, calkin and inside wedge. Yep. And then even on the uh, tool and fuller day. The Correct. fronts will still be a hunter heel, but the hinds will have a wedge and a caulkin on them. Nice. And so it is more each day. But right now, I, I do think you're spot on of the 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 shoe list right now is very inviting for different skill sets. You could go all the and it's easy to be like ju- if somebody's just getting into this format. Just starting concept. out. Yep. Man, you're just starting out competing and trying to figure it out. Like, yeah. this is a pretty good contest to go to. I don't think it might be great if you're a novice, mm-hmm. but if you're in the categories already as a WCB and you're trying to go up, like, the team events are really a good thing to do because you're not alone. You're getting yeah. to practice with your team members, and you're it's a pretty basic shoe list that you're not getting lost in the weeds of a lot of things you're still really focusing on the bases of horseshoeing calks and wedges they can be a little intimidating yeah there's, there's not a lot of jewelry on the shoes that we're yeah. making we are doing very functional shoes that you can nail on every day Which but we got cool. less time right now the shoes are less so we got 30 minutes less each oh, class so when besides they... the draft class the draft class right now is two and a half hours okay. but the other two are only two hours each okay so Jesse, you have it. You're pretty new to the four man con- concept, I guess, as well. Yes. Are you nervous for when uh, they go to Calks and Wedges? No. No. You ready? I got three other guys to help you out. To help me out. Yeah. It doesn't bother me a bit. They'll whip you into shape. Yeah. Riley's <laughs> a forging master. Brian's been competing and shoeing horses for ever. Longer than I've been alive. <laughs> Keep That's rubbing crazy. in his face, Troy. Yeah. We'll make it the team. Troy swings the sledgehammer like a maniac. So it, it's going into the block, and all the jewelry is getting put on it. 
That's sweet. I, I, I'm not going to lie. And it, like, I might, I'm more nervous. I'm more nervous because once you, you carry put more responsibility, once you put a heel on something, an upright heel, like once you throw a cleat, yeah, you ain't rasping through the cleat. It's big. Like it's, it's like right now we can rasp a heel off. Yeah, you can we take can, some length away if you need oh, to. Oh yeah, cut it off if you wanted to. Yeah. yeah, once you commit to the heel, you're basically having to start over if it's yeah. too wet. Yeah, dude. It's so, like it's just you're so bound. I th- your we're your not measurements. Doing that again. Your measurements have to be. And like we, almost, you, we almost did it today. We're not yeah. doing it again. And like, oh, I'm already having to make two shoes a go because I make the wrong side almost every single time. Well, so it's like, we don't have very much time left. <laughs> <laughs> like, no kidding. Well, Jesse, how long have you been shoeing horses like all together? Uh, that's a tough, tough question to answer. Um, I started young, started trimming young. My grandpa was a farrier, um, and I. It was kind of back and forth. What's considered young? Because, like, Troy's oh, young. No, 13. 13, young. Yeah, young. Eh. Young. I mean, we, were, we were starting colts and, and trimming horses really young. And um, then it turned into a chore, so I tried to get away from it. Yeah. And Because you're almost like, you're like being forced to do it at that time because kinda, like you didn't have an option or a choice. Kind of. And uh, it turned out, you know, the further I got away from it, I hated life more and more and more and like horses and animals in general, but horses really grounded me, turned me into a pretty decent person. Yeah. And I, you know, when I finally accepted that, quit trying to fight it and be who I thought I wanted to be and just be who I was and got back into it. So this, this last stretch here, um, I, I moved about 10 years ago made some serious changes, and this practice I've been at for 10 years. Before that, I was kind of just shoeing horses, but I was rodeoing, so it was more important to me to be on the road than being a farrier. I lived that, too. Right. Yeah, right. So, What type of farrier was your grandpa, per se? Uh, he was... Like he was just getting at, steel on the feet? No, at the time, he was a pretty big deal in the county. He was in Clark County, Washington, uh, Vancouver area. He was a pretty big deal, but that was back when um, if, if another horseshoer pulled into a barn, somebody would pack up a leave because you sure. don't want to share any secrets. So he was, you know, he was going to clinics and trying to uh, start associations and trying to get serious. everybody to band together. Yeah, he was serious. Cool. He, was, he was, you know, good for as good as he could be for the time that for what was available but did that, that turn on two of like two they're like he was so serious about it that he pushed seriousness on you absolutely he showed me what kind of not only what kind of farrier but he was the example of what kind of man i should be and all aspects not just farrier but all aspects of life that's good uh, pretty big deal and uh it's probably good but it's also also like hard to like you're like man i gotta fill these boots big boots yeah, you're like Absolutely. trying to keep up. But that's good. I mean, you don't get comfortable. Just yeah. keep driving, keep driving. That's probably why of like, so that's probably, I, I wonder like a little bit where you came for like you're comfortable in these stressful situations. Is that like, it was never easy riding with him either. Like he's like, things are serious. And he's right. like, life's stressful. Get right. comfortable in it. Yeah. Get comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah. Because that's like, obviously like you like it. Absolutely. <clears throat> Yeah. Well, and I always thought it was because of your rodeo background, you were able to handle high stress yeah, but situations. Before that, we were we were flipping colts in in a couple of months, so 
you know, auction horses, putting, putting 60, 90 days on an auction horse is a little bit more stressful than, uh, than rodeo. Cause you know what you're getting into in rodeo and you're, you're riding a bull. It's going to buck. If you get off, it might come after you. Or yeah, you, you do, off, but you don't. You. Yeah, there's only one way to get off of a bull, so that's the way you're getting off. Auction horses, you're just not sure what you're getting into, so there's a lot of, a lot of questions. But you know, you can learn so much about yourself from animals. So, like these colts that you guys are picking up, are when you did this, are these like they're not broke at all, and then you guys are trying to break them, or man, you don't know they're coming from an auction. Yeah, you nobody honestly... tells the truth. That's a, the Number one, don't believe anything that they tell you. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I even hear that, you know, amongst, like, the clients yeah. I work for, you know. And yeah. Now, just 10 years ago, I, I took on this mare. They're like, yeah, they were, they showed her at the auction. They were roping off her. She was great. They had her for a couple of months, brought her to me for, for a tune-up. And in two weeks, I still couldn't – I couldn't even pick up a rope off of a fence post off of her. So, yeah. I mean, you can – you can gentle them into or dumb them into accepting it for for a moment, but they're not broke to it. Yeah. You know. So it's, you really don't know what you're getting yourself into. <laughs> you don't know. Yeah. So then you're trying to, with these horses, like you're trying to break them and then like resell them and try to make a profit on them? Or, well, that wasn't or are you trying the, to keep them for yourself? Yeah. The reselling them wasn't the original plan. So my grandpa had cancer. He passed away at 53. I was 13 years old. But so it was, there was a short amount of time where we did a lot of stuff. Yeah. That was part of it. Okay. Just, it was kind of him fulfill like, he's like, this is the things I wanted right, to do. Right. We're going to start doing You it. need to learn how to be a man. This is what we're going to do. So it, like he kind of put it on the express lane. Like, and it was like. Absolutely. So yeah. it was pretty tough. So that's why, you know, after all that, I was like, horses are, horses are hard. I don't like doing this work. I don't want to come home and do chores at 10 o'clock at night. Whatever time you get home, you're going to take care of the animals. And that's the first thing you're doing. Yeah. The last thing you're doing at night, try to get away from it. Um, just but couldn't, it, man. It sucked me back in. Yeah. I love it. Well, obviously though, too, is like horses were a big part of you and your grandpa's relationship <clears throat> mm -hmm. and losing him was probably pretty fucking hard. Mm -hmm. And so then you were like, well, fuck horses. You know what I mean? Like it reminds you of them every single time. Yeah. It's like I I know I I veer away from those things. You're like, well, that's what yeah. reminds me of them. So yeah. I'm just gonna head the other direction. Yeah. But then you probably found like I, I'm not saying it's like sure, but like I wonder if you found later like that was also a little bit of the connection to them. Find a little bit of peace in it. And yeah, be, yeah and be seek it out again mm -hmm. probably. Yeah. Absolutely. And so like now is like what did you, what did you do to get away from them? And was it? Oh, I did everything, and I, I started a construction business. I went to okay. construction. I started a construction business for a while. Hated that. That was terrible. Um, I hate working with other people. Uh, I welcome to the club. <laughs> right. I mean, we're, we're all a little weird. That's why we're all here. Every horse you talk to, we're a little weird. We're we're very individual. Some of us get along together. Some of us don't get along together. But. Um, I, I expect a lot out of everybody. I'm, I'm really hard on myself, so I'm really hard on everybody else. And it wasn't fair to everybody else. I can do that with myself all day long. You know, <clears throat> ask my kids. They'll, they'll tell you the same thing. They, you know, they all know horses well, and they're all very talented, but maybe one or two of them will stick into it. Really? It's, it's, yeah. 
I wonder though, it'd be interesting. Like all these, like it'd be interesting if your grandpa thought the same thing about you. Oh yeah, absolutely. And then all of a sudden, like here you are, you you stuck with. You know what I mean? Like, do you think he would have thought you would have stuck with it or not? I don't know. I I, I'm fairly certain he didn't think so. Wow. And so I wonder if your kids will end up the same. It could be. That'd be fantastic. Yeah, of like then you come back around. They came back around. Like man, I really. I thought that was a thing that I didn't like, mm-hmm. but it turns out it's not. Yeah. Like it, it's in a different, different place. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I started a few different times. I, I, you know, was half-assed at half-assed horseshoe a few different times in my life. Cause the most important <clears throat> thing to me was doing something else that I was doing at that time <laughs> in my life. And then you know, here I am just all in. Cool. Yeah. Nice. What about you, Brian? How long have you been shooting for? I don't know the numbers exactly. Uh, <laughs> well, it's been longer than Troy's been alive. You don't, yeah, you don't know them or you don't want to say them? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not good with numbers. All right? <laughs> like, I mean, I, I write numbers down a lot of time. I just can't add them together. I see problems on the board. I just have to solve them. <laughs> yeah, uh, Superman. I, uh, my freshman year uh, after college, I went out to Wyoming. My grandfather lived out in Sheridan. And I got a job on a dude ranch. And that summer, I learned about pulling shoes, trimming feet. And by the end of the summer, I shot my first horse. That was nine, 1995. Wow. When I graduated college, I went to Oregon State University. I graduated college in 98. And that summer, I found a shoeing school that had a summer program. I wasn't interested in being a professional farrier. You uh, were or were not? Was not. Yeah. I, I was. What did you study in college? Uh, sports medicine. I was a board-certified athletic trainer wow. for a short time. Um. I, I essentially, I didn't know what I was doing with the ranch horses. Yeah. And I had my own horse that I was team roping on, and I was still paying someone to go and shoot them because I didn't have my own anvil and that kind of stuff. And I just kind of wanted to know more about it. So I was like, I found a school that fit in between when I got out of uh, undergraduate and before graduate school started. And I was like, okay, we'll go do this. And about two weeks into it, I got on the pay phone, this is before cell phones, and I called my parents on the phone, talked to my mom. I said, I'm not going to go to grad school. I'm going to become a horseshoer. Wow. So how did they take you? Yeah, and that was '98. So my mom has always been super uh, supportive. Uh, I did college rodeo uh, a little bit. You know, she would travel around and come watch. Uh, my dad never came and watched me do anything like that. So you guys didn't grow up with horses. We we grew up in a rural area. We had neighbors with horses. Uh, occasionally, someone would go on vacation. I'd be tasked with. Taking care of horses. Go feed uh, I went. I went to uh, there's a horse camp for kids over in Clam called the Flying Horseshoe Ranch. I went there for a number of summers. Yeah. Um, so I was around them, but we didn't own them. Yeah. Um, when did you start? Like you didn't all of a sudden just go to college rodeo for the first time, though. No, you know it was my senior year, um, and there uh, and where I, I went, uh, kind of live in a weird area, or I grew up in a weird area. Uh, I went to Auburn schools. I had a Kent address, and the closest town was Black Diamond. And Black Diamond is just across the valley from Enumclaw, which was kind of yep. known for a more agricultural area. There was uh, you know, a lot of kids at high school rodeoed out of Enumclaw. And so there were some people that went to my high school that spent time in Enumclaw, and they were riding bulls. Yeah. This is like in the early, early 90s. And it intrigued me. And I, I definitely had a romanticism with things uh, – western and, and cowboy and stuff and and i just kind of got gravitated to it and i wanted to prove myself as being did you say like romanticism yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah romanticized it yeah i haven't heard that before really it's, it's like seeing the 
seeing the good in it only you know you're yeah, like yeah, oh you, this yeah, is yeah, like you're just looking at all the roses and the and flowers the and yeah so um it was just something i was drawn to yeah um i and uh yeah so uh, a couple weeks into horseshoeing school and i said oh, i'm not gonna go on to where i was doing which was you know helping medical stuff for people and i yeah. wanted to get into horses You've told me that story a couple of times. I think it's pretty funny of when you were like, of why you didn't want to go back to doing the sports training deal. Yeah, it was it, it was tough, you know. Like, so back, back, this is what I said, early '90s. So the PBR is not a thing yet. You got the bull riders only, and I'm going to college rodeos, traveling around, and you know, people, you know, these guys are getting hurt riding bulls or whatever, and they're having. These, you know, kind of justice horse medicine or EMTs, they're, you know, you know, t- taking dislocations and, and resetting them. They're taping up broken bones and the guys are climbing back on re-rides doing this kind of stuff. And I go back to school and I've got a, you know, a college athlete who's getting 50 grand in scholarship money every year to go play football. And he can't go practice because his toenail hurts. Yeah. <laughs> and and, and it's, it's that, that was a big problem. And there was also a big problem with the fact that you're, you're sitting around. And waiting for someone to come in to do treatment on they just had ankle surgery and you're you've 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 created a rehab program for them. They're supposed to show up after class at this time. You're sitting there looking at the clock and well it should have been a thirty minutes ago and you're folding towels because you got nothing else to do. Um so so that was kinda of tough for me. Um I don't like kinda of sitting still very much. And then uh and then honestly, uh the money was a was a factor. Like really? most athletic trainers with a bachelor's degree are at that time, you know, it was like was worse than a uh, the pay was almost worse than a teacher and you could only be expected to get a job at a high school level if you wanted to work at a division one or division two university you, um and, and not even like say like a professional sports thing you needed to be uh have a master's degree at the minimum and so that's more school that's more money and uh and i was just kind of fed up with dealing with human athletes and i was really into yeah. horses um and uh, i just wanted to, to do something with horses. And so I actually looked at ways prior to thinking of that horseshoeing was an actual avenue. Um, there was a guy, I think his name was Tom Ivers out of Portland area that did a lot of sports medicine stuff with race horses. Okay. And I talked to him via really crude email at the time. And he had a, like a book or two out, but that was all kind of voodoo witchcraft stuff. He wasn't a veterinarian. It was just kind of back off the track, you know, doing stuff to get horses back on the track, excuse me, back on the track. My grades um, for undergraduate classes, as far as like chemistry, organic chem, that kind of stuff, were really bad. So there's no way I was going to get into like a vet school or a med school based on my academic. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so and then being male and then being white. Yeah. I mean, I there's just you know, at that time um, it might be different now. They probably want some male vets or <laughs> male veterinarians. Yeah, but, maybe. Um, <laughs> At that time, it just wasn't wasn't a thing. So I was just trying to just trying to find a way that when I got out of school, that I could actually go make some money and not be a burden to myself or somebody else. So, yeah, just trying so, to tread water. And and, and and once and and so my exposure to horseshoeing was shoeing, uh, the ranch I worked at was at like I said in, around the Sheridan area. It was a little over hundred head of horses there, and they all had to get shot a couple times a year. And it was you know it was, it was I'm gonna say it was crude but it was it it, it was it, 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 it's not to the level of what we see now yeah um and especially on the on the on the four-man team and when I got to the shoeing school uh especially when we spent time 
uh, after class. And uh, one of the instructors went to Oklahoma State Horseshoeing School. One of the instructors, Dave Goodman, was there. And he was the one, and he doesn't know this, but spending just a few hours with him in the truck going around after class to some of his clients really opened my eyes as to how, how big of a world is out there for horseshoe. And that's was the, for me personally, was the catalyst because he was going out. I remember one time going out and it was like a, a veterinarian's private place and he was going to do some work on, you know, some kind of lameness. And I remember the, it was the first time I uh, really paid attention to the fencing down in the Oklahoma area. They use a lot of metal where back home it's, it, it was always wood. And, uh, it, uh, that particular fencing, they didn't bother to take away the drill bit parts or whatever of the sucker rod. So uh-huh. you have this big long thing like, <laughs> Three quarter round. All of a sudden, there's this like drill bit attached. I'm like, yeah. I just thought that was a bit dangerous for horses. But <laughs> you know, so, just, so just some of the stuff that that he was doing, and, and it just blew my mind. Yeah. And, and so it was something I, I just dove head head first into. And so I there was a veterinarian that, that worked on the horses, and one of my uh, neighbors that like, these gals babysat me. They sh- they showed Arab horses and stuff, and I said, hey. You know, give me the name of your veterinarian and stuff. I called him up and I said, give me a name of a couple guys to come work with after That's I got smart. out of school. And so I called them up and I, I and I essentially started an informal apprenticeship. It, it was essentially I was riding along as often as I could. Yeah. Um, and, and, um, and to their benefit, uh, that was Roberto Rivera and Pablo Rivera. They were... Um, they shod on their, on their racetrack at Emerald Downs in my hometown of, of, of Auburn, Washington at the time. Uh, and uh, and it really is anything that I learned under their tutelage that you could dismiss as good everyday shoeing. And, and the benefit there at the racetrack at that time was I got to see a lot of horses and I got to see young horses running at full speed. And you can see some catastrophic stuff happen, not only to, unfortunately, to the animals, but you see the stress place on a young hoof capsule yeah it's to the extremes yeah exactly and so like, there's just a lot of knowledge and stuff to be going on there um the, the downside of that is is that most plating work uh around racetracks is done cold and uh uh just kind of a little tangent is about two weeks after i got out of horseshoe school i was home and i heard that there was a a, a a conference going on it was for the ferry association of washington state it was over at Thorpe at Silver Shoe Supply. I showed up there. I didn't know anybody. No one talked to me. I kind of was on the, on, the, on the outskirts. And one of the days they had a horseshoeing contest. And I walked around. These good people were swinging hammers like you've never seen before yeah. <laughs> doing stuff. And I was like, what the heck did I just see? And I was like, well, I'm going to be here next year. and I'm going to do this. And so I did everything. I think I- it does that. It either like... You want in, or you want as far away as far from that damn in. thing yeah. as possible. And I, and I wanted in because I, I saw that. I said, "Well, that is cool. obviously a whole other level than what I've already yeah. been exposed to." Yeah. So I, I did whatever I could to make myself not embarrass myself too much, and came back the next year. And um, and do you and, remember what the shoes were on that list when you had to make? I have absolutely no idea what the shoe. I know who the clinician was. Yeah, um, I just it, don't. It was Kevin Haley. He was on the American Ferries team in the 90s. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and one thing that was a little different is most local association contests and stuff, they usually do a clinic before, and then you have your contest, and then awards. Yeah. And you have, we had the, <clears throat> for, remember, we had the contest first, and then the last day, like Sunday, was a clinic day. Hmm. And, it's different. Uh, and Kevin was such a good clinician for me in that he remembered all the just – I mean, I, I'm, I'm a year out of horseshoe in school, um, and none of the actual hands-on stuff comes easy to me. I was 
uh, as far as horseshoeing goes, like I can read a horseshoeing textbook and I can pass a test, but you tell me to pull the clip or something, I'm, I'm <laughs> going to look pretty ridiculous. And he really walked me through on that clinic day aspect, the things that he saw during my, my shoe and go. Yeah. And it wasn't a few months later that I had passed. you ever had anybody do that with you to that point? No, I mean, for the mo- outside of school, like, so when I was at, when I was at the dude ranch, I would do something like, and they, they would go, okay, do this or that. And I would do that. And then I, so I was never on my own to like, I, I didn't know what the picture was. I would just say, I would go until they said, stop. And I said, or go and, or, or go until they said I was good enough. Yeah. And that was it. And that's why I wanted to go to the shoe and school. Cause I, I didn't know, were that good enough or where that that was yeah and then when i was kind of doing that in a formal apprenticeship a lot of times you're holding horses or you're clenching feet or pulling shoes but you're it's it's just small parts of it so when you have someone come in and and kind of critique your whole procedure from the start from pulling the shoe trimming the foot shaping the shoe to fitting to nailing to clinching you know, there's a lot of things that goes on in that aspect of it, of, of shoeing a horse. Yeah. And have someone come in and say, hey, well, I remember this, I remember that, and hey, you, you could do this, and you can do that. And it wasn't for that. And, and it was a very positive experience to me. I I've, I felt I, maybe today wasn't a good example, but I felt that I've been coachable. I, I've always been, I felt receptive to someone else's opinion of what I could need to do. Yeah. Um, coachable, but it sounds like this is, like, you just said that you do it in school, where you would just start doing things till I said stop. Well, and it's like sometimes, like today, that might have been what maybe happened a little. You know, like where you're like, there's so many ideas coming at me. I don't think, like, I'm not sure where I'm going anymore. I'm just gonna start doing a little bit of each till they say, eh. Uh-uh. That is what happened today. Yeah, it was just a blow up today. But it's funny how like. We either resort to one or the other as, you know what I mean? Like I do the same thing as like, I resort mostly to like, well, I'll just go through the process, you know, like somewhat muscle memory and I'm not even paying attention to what's really happening to my project anymore. I just like quarter bin now, you know, as you get yeah. to the end, you're like, well, this is a pile of crap. I well, wasn't thinking. Comes along and tells you how to fit <laughs> yeah. You're out. like, well, I guess I'll just start riding this wave until something fucks me off. It's just yeah. like how it kind of goes. Like, yeah. Yeah, it was a little bit of that today for sure. But yeah, yeah it's 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 interesting. Like, but it's funny of like when you first when you went to the shooting school and it was happening, you were definitely on like you probably didn't know what it was what it was supposed to look like. But now, I mean, you've got to practice for quite a while. You know what you want. Yeah. You know, yeah. like well, and then and part of what I did today was where I'm at currently shooting my everyday horses and what I was trying to achieve. And it wasn't what it wasn't in the best interest of, of the team. Did you? No, but it's it's like but like what you're saying. So it's like you kind of rode down the middle a little bit. Then today of like half muscle memory, half. My whole my whole life is down the middle. <laughs> you're just trying to I be mean, Switzerland. I mean, I mean, I remember back in an election they were calling somebody. He was you know on the fence. He thought this way. He thought that. I mean, I was like, what's wrong with that? That is my life. That's like, the if guy. There's a, bi- a biography. There's a guy on a fence, and he doesn't know what side he's on. <laughs> so it's like, it's, has that has that been a little bit for you of like even through horseshoeing? Of you're like, do well, I? It's 100 percent through horseshoeing. Because you've done it, other it, things it, besides been ampl- horseshoeing it's been ampl- too. It's been amplified in horseshoeing. I don't think no other aspect of my life has been more uh, amplified or, or magnified than horseshoeing. And do you think that's because horseshoeing is so objective? 100 percent. We're like, so you did a time in your life microscope work. I've done some. Not objective, right? Like right. probably pretty, 
this is the process. And, and, but the, These the, are the, the tolerances. The, the, inter- the interesting correlation of what we do is that the user that use that in most most places, especially as modern era of what my, my co- microscopy is, is that the that's u- a big word for microscopes, yeah. huh? <laughs> uh, that the user has no clue anything what they're doing. How All they want to do is can they focus, can they take a picture, and can they add it to whatever they're doing for their research. So it's not, not unlike what we do here where the end user, being the horse owner, has no clue to the nuances of what, what, what you're doing. They just care that, that you know, the light turns on when they turn the button or you know, does that horse trip when he's out doing whatever they're asking him to do. And, uh, yeah, so there's just so much, and I'm sure in a lot of trades, that just goes unappreciated to the, the details to, make, to making things seem like they are, are flawless. Was that job easier though, just because like there was no way, there's no... For for like 80% of the work, it was easier uh, because you you were essentially doing routine maintenance where you're just doing like like for automotive work, you do lube, oil, and filter. You were were lubricating areas that would see wear. You were cleaning areas that got dirty. Um, It's those instances where there was things where there was a mechanical breakdown and the mechanisms that moved different parts of it that actually need to be rebuilt. Um, and I was just fortunate that my dad is a savant for that kind of work. I hear that word all the time. What the hell does it mean? Yeah. Savant? Like just good at it? Like, like just, Troy at like, fucking showing horses? Like, like, like <laughs> just, just kind of blood, like almost artistically good at it. Like, just, okay. Okay. Like, uh, he, he there, was, Very there, there, there was never a time that you couldn't, you could, present a problem and they didn't know how to fix it and to do it and it's probably like okay that makes sense of like they don't even have to know the problem or seen it before but they understand how it works and, so and much so, and so, and so like uh, like have seen it before though like i've already made that mistake or close to it do well it, yeah. it's, it's just yeah. it's just like a master at, at any kind of thing uh and I've, I've read a lot of self-help books to keep myself off the ledge and what <laughs> and one of the things they said about when it comes when it comes to like mastery, not not, not you know, so. There's a, you know the idea that ten thousand hours of you know repeated, really focused makes someone a master. But the other thing was is when they've done studies to look at people's brain cognition as far as solving problems. Um, one of the studies was master chess players, and they could show photos of like an aerial view of a chessboard, and just by the way the pieces were, those players really quickly knew what the best moves were and the percentages for that. And just like a, a guy who maybe is leading the league in, in, in home runs for the, you know for baseball or whatever, the second that that ball has, it's, it's going 90 miles an hour, the second that it's left that, that pitcher's hand, from, from the where his hand is and stuff, he kind of knows if it's going to be a fastball, a slider, a breaking ball, whatever. Like they have the pattern recognition. So uh, I had the opportunity to spend uh, two AFA conventions uh, with Tom Peterson in the draft class. Yeah. And so – his pattern recognition of knowing what was wrong with his shape was so fast, and he knew exactly the move he needed to do to correct it. Where I was spending countless seconds of precious heat trying to look at my project, figuring out what was wrong, and then, just from lack of experience and, 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 and recognition, trying to figure out what I need to do to correct this thing that took me too long to figure out what I was wrong with. So hard. And, and, and that's why you see, at least in my opinion, and why you see these guys who are at the top of their game and, you know, national champions um, and the like is that they can look at, like, we're all making mistakes, you know, because there's so many variables and the, the heat and, and this kind of stuff, but they can look at it and they know exactly what's wrong 
almost instantly and they know exactly the correct way to fix it. And so that's so why true. it looks like they're, they're, they're working with so much more heat because they're not wasting it. Right. Like it, it, it just, it just goes. And, yeah. and, and, and that's, I mean, I, I would love to be there someday. I, I, my arms might fall off before I, I get there. Um, <laughs> How was that being able to be paired up with Tom in the draft show or the draft um, class at convention? You know, it's funny. I, I, uh, I was terribly nervous. I, I've had a couple times where I've been paired yeah, with I guys been too. who were, you know, kind of, you know, you know, the hall of fame level yeah. of, of competitor. Yeah. And, Tom, and, and, Tom is arguably, one not of, even arguably, Tom's one of the best horseshoers in America, it, and not even just America, in the world really. In the world, he can usually go anywhere and kind of lay down daddy. some he's an awesome American work. national champion. He is reserve national champion for Europe, and he's national champion for Australia. Yeah, and those are the th- three main sweet. big areas you're going to yep. see yeah. horseshoeing contests. He's a bad dude. Yeah, and uh, so was the biggest thing you're worried like just don't screw up. Well, it's just so like if, if I'm out of contest, I'm not getting. 40 people around me to watch and you get something like tom everyone wants to see what tom's yeah. doing and so i'm there and just the the nerves and the amp and you want to do good yeah you know because tom's not there to get third or sixth or eighth like he does what he do wants to win he wants to get first place yeah and so it puts stress and so you get and so like i broke i broke a fuller for him at a go <laughs> i mean i've done all sorts, i mean um, just because you're kind of amped up, you're on the muscle, you, you and, yeah. and, and then um, you got ADI sitting there watching you too. Like, yeah, it, 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 it's, it's, it's tough. Um, and it's a weird team aspect because y- your guys' points aren't together. Yeah. And it, it's, well, I mean, you can get scored as a total, like, but it's like each person's getting their shoes, their yeah, pairs so, so, scored so the, by so themselves. The, so the, the pair of front shoes that one, one of the members is making is scored and the, the other pair of shoes is being scored and then the, that's averaged out and that's where you're placed as a team yeah and so like i'm pretty sure and it's happened for i know for sure like in utah because it was not a whole lot of shoes on the table you know where everybody was because yeah. at the convention everything's blind yeah but like toms are at the up first and then brian's are fourth or fifth like at a utah contest and so hope Hopefully that is better than the guy that's at second and you know. Yeah, but if you got a guy that's second and third, well then we're we're, they're whipping. We're toast. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's it's a it's it's a different thing. I I really enjoyed last year. Jesse and I did the team, and uh, I feel that Jesse and I are are closer as far closer in skill level than Tom and I were. And uh, oh, you and Jesse did the draft class at convention. Correct. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, just personally, emotionally, like, uh, you know, I didn't have the nerves that I had working working, working for some for somebody working with somebody else that was yeah. just, you know, uh, you know, not perceived, but they just are that much better than you. So <coughs> the lull, the lull. So uh, yeah, I don't I don't know how we got the tangent on convention draft horseshoeing. well you guys shot a draft horse today so who knows well man it's been fun yeah no i I think this is a a good little view into i guess we didn't see uh troy Uh, how long troy's been shooing horses well he said three years well, you've been chewing my shoes. It's like, what, yeah, you're going to make you talk. What drug you into shoeing horses? Like, did you grow up with horses? I thought I paid my farrier too much growing up. 
Really? 80 bucks for a full set. <laughs> You're like, screw this. Yeah. <laughs> so how many horses did you have, or do you have? I have none now, but yeah. I had four at the time. Probably so good. And how rolling. much do you charge to shoe a horse? 175 yeah. right now. Hot so. diggity dog. <laughs> Over double. <laughs> so you you thought that this guy you were paying this guy too much that you were gonna it was gonna be cheaper to go to school because you went to school or did you just first start riding with the guy? I started an apprenticeship, but and you were gonna do that to learn how to just shoot your own horses. Yeah, before I started the apprenticeship, I knew I was gonna give it my best shot. And yeah, like, you're like I'm just gonna be all into this either way. Yeah, and see where it goes. Like so, you started your apprenticeship, and obviously you liked it a little bit. Yep. Who is the apprenticeship? With. Steve Ritchie, Steve one Ritchie. of Brian's good buddies that okay. he used to compete with back in the day all the He's time. He's another old timer. Yeah. <laughs> He's older than I am. Oh, man. Yeah, and Steve apprenticed with a guy named Russell Colvin. And Russell Colvin is the man that we could probably all think, like we owe him all a little bit of our life. He made Iron Mountain Flux, oh, yeah. which pretty much all of us, if you yes. aren't using Iron Mountain Flux at Forge Weld, you're probably not getting any welds. No, you're having a rough you're day. You're probably not sticking any welds. You're probably going to a lot of clinics to learn how to weld. Yeah. <laughs> you just bought yourself a bottle of Iron Mountain and taken care of it. He, he did a lot of hard work for us to figure it out. And it's like, man, don't knock on a good thing. Just ride it out. So it's like, it, it is pretty funny how that world works out of like Russell, you know, Steve went to Russell and now mm-hmm. here you are. And it's like... Uh, but did you why why did you go to school did russell just kind of encourage you i mean not russell steve encouraged you to school yep steve encouraged me to go to school from day one and so he had a timeline probably on you of like what like did he or like hey you got to be out of here by this and go to school no i always had an open invite going with steve where did you go to school heartland for it was like two weeks i was there it was like right at the start of covid and And then how long did you go there Riley, my class is only I think eight weeks, and you only yeah, went for two weeks. I, I was supposed to go for the eight week class, oh. but it was right at the start of COVID, and I yeah. was still seventeen. And my dad wanted me to come home, oh, so I wanted to stay, but I didn't want to disobey my dad. So it was yeah. like, okay, I'll go home. Then I resumed the apprenticeship, and I had already been like aware of the WCB and things like that. So I yeah. watched the Facebook lives, and I was forging every day at that point, and yeah. bringing my shoes that I had made the night before. To Steve the next day, and he would pick them apart okay. and tell me what I needed to fix. So, wow. so uh, do you ever see yourself going back to Heartland to finish that six weeks? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> you might go there to instruct after, <laughs> after you got on the team. Like, yeah. Yeah, head on back, but it is like, uh, like, did An you? Degree. Yeah, you're gonna do the commencement speech at Heartland. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, that's cool. Uh, that, like, but you didn't. You came like so. Your dad has his own business. Yeah, he's a machinist and a fabricator. So you've already grown up seeing that you could run your own gig for sure from day one. I worked in the shop like every day. My dad was down there in the summertime since I was like nine. So you kind of learned a work ethic probably from your dad for sure. Yeah. And did you like? But did you kind of always know you weren't going to just go work for somebody else? Yeah, that was. Never even crossed my mind to be an employee. You're just gonna start your own business. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that that is a big. Most horseshoers I think you talk to are kind of on that route of like they're like, man, I just never saw myself almost anywhere else, and then here I am. Yeah, yeah. shooting mm-hmm. full time. Sweet, got a lot of life ahead of you. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Riley? Man, I, horses. we we covered it a little bit before on the last one too, but it yep. was uh, 
Man, almost the same thing as Troy a little bit. Not any, I guess the same thing as Troy. I tried to be an employee for a little bit. I, I was, I started my working life. I started a little early. I got kicked out of high school. So I, my mom wasn't really about us just sitting about. And so I got pushed into like, well, you're going to go somewhere and work. And so I got a job in a welding shop. I was just in a fab shop grinding and welding. So I kind of thought that's where I was going to leave is that, I then got a, a job after that welding, that fab shop, and I got a job at a steel mill, and I was an assistant millwright there. And I thought, well, these these millwrights are making more money than welders, so I'm going to go ahead and be a millwright. Well, then I realized I'm not a good employee, and I'm not a good coworker. And especially at that time, I was an even angrier young guy. And so I tried fighting my boss, lost my job. <laughs> tried fighting your boss. Oh man, shoved, shoved yeah. him up against the rack. It's a good like, way to keep a, to keep a job. And you you kind of know it right away. You're like, well, I just pushed my boss over here, grab my stuff. <laughs> it's probably I'll gonna go good. To boss, check. can I still get my check? Yeah, <laughs> it's funny. I still buy steel at that place. Really? The owner of the place loves me. Yeah. And the guy that I push still works there. We don't talk much when I go oh, in. Yeah. It's pretty like, so. clear. <laughs> like, but so. I realized I just wasn't a good employee, and I kind of had to figure something out, and was already team roping and everything else. So it was like, yeah. man, I better head to horseshoe in school, and at least then I can work by myself. And I was kind of almost the same boat as you, as I was realizing how much better I was with animals than I was with people. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, this way I can kind of just horse trainers make nothing, yeah. you know. But the the farrier is driving a brand new pickup. Well, I didn't grow up with a lot of money, so I was like, that new pickup sounds pretty damn nice. Yeah. I'm going to head that way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I like that. Like being able to have a nice rig. Yeah. You know? it's, well, yeah, and not even just a nice rig. It's like, man, I, I think like there's horseshoers pride themselves that we supply our families. Yeah. And we are like hard workers. And like even if our family, like we have money coming from other things, like we do our part. And it's like, a, I got, it's a very satisfying job for the most part. We got down times, you know, but it's like, for the most part, you feel pretty okay for yourself, yeah, you it's know? Like, it's uh, rewarding. It's like mowing a lawn. The lawn <laughs> keeps growing, it gets long, looks like crap. If only I could, it was successful to drink beer, it's not shooting horses, it's going the yacht lawn. I would never get anything done if I drank beer and shot horses. No. <laughs> There's no way. Can't do it. Man, no, I think this was a, a great deal to have everybody kind of get a little insight on what makes up a horseshoeing team, what makes up, uh, you know, us as individuals a little bit. Yep. And you get a view of how different we each are and where we came from in life. But here we are all mashed up in the middle yeah. and trying to come one to goal. one goal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it, guys. Thanks. Thank Absolutely. you. Uh, yeah. Well, who knows what we'll do on the next one. Try and line up another guest or couple guests i guess for the next pod see where it goes uh if you have any uh, suggestions people you want to see uh comments or dilemmas or anything that's like man you just got a gripe that you want to get out and it's like well peter griffin says let us know and we'll try to yeah if you guys do like listener questions or whatever you can send them to an email at forgingbrains at gmail.com and then we'll uh or our instagram yeah same, or our instagram same handle at forging brains podcast Awesome. Thank you, guys. Cool. Thank you.